0: Hey, Max. You know a lot about the Maximovs. What's the deal with the twins?
1: Okay, so there's this couple named Maria and Django who show up at the High Evolutionary's Fortress at about the same time as Miss America and the Wizard- Oh, wait, wait,
0: wait. No, no, not not Wanda and Pietro. The little twins. Tommy and Billy.
1: Oh, they're Wanda's kids. With whom? The Vision.
0: The Vision's a robot.
1: Synthesoid.
0: Whatever. How does that even work?
1: Well... When a woman and a synthezoid love each other very much, sometimes they channel the power of an entire town of witches into an otherwise impossible pregnancy.
0: So, magic babies?
1: Nope. Normal babies. Wanda's concerned about that too, so she goes and checks with Dr. Strange, who confirms that it's a totally normal, completely legitimate pregnancy.
0: You know, I would kinda question Dr. Strange's qualifications to accurately judge what counts as normal.
1: That's valid, especially because the twins turn out to be fragments of Mephisto's soul.
0: Wait, I actually kind of remember this, but I thought they were part of Master Pandemonium's soul, not Mephisto's. Didn't he reclaim them and turn them into like creepy baby hands or something?
1: No, it turned out he was just the gopher. Anyway, babies got reabsorbed. Wanda got mind wiped, although she eventually remembered them again and came to terms with the fact that you know she lost her babies. Then she forgot she remembered that. Remembered it again and had a kind of omnipotent cosmic breakdown during which he caused the twins to be re reincarnated as relatively normal superpowered kids, Billy Kaplan and Tommy Shepard.
0: Again, I'm kind of iffy on your use of the word normal at this point.
1: It's Maximoff normal.
0: Yeah, that's fair. So, what ended up happening with them?
1: They eventually reunited happily, if somewhat bewilderingly, with Wanda. Billy went on to become an Avenger. And an on-again, off-again deity. He's currently engaged to the king of space.
0: Good for him. And Tommy?
1: He used his super speed to build off-brand iPads.
0: What? I'm J. Rachel Ediden.
1: And I'm Max Carlton, filling in for Miles Stokes.
0: And we are here to explain the X-Men.
1: Because it's about time somebody did.
0: Welcome to episode 115 of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, where we walk you through the ins, outs, and retcons of comics' greatest superhero soap opera, and in this case, one of its maybe somewhat less great licensed spinoffs. So first of all, Max, welcome. Thank you. And we've mentioned before, you are the cartoonist behind the comic strip Waiting for the Trade, right?
1: Yeah, I do uh, comics about comics. Uh, Super persnickety continuity stuff.
0: And those of you who are long-term listeners will remember Max also as the first person to come across the most important bit of AVX continuity ever, which was the PENIS5 acronym.
1: Yep. Pietro, Emma, Namor, Ilyana, and Scott.
0: And the world owes you a great debt for, I guess at this point, like almost a decade of really off-color jokes based on that.
1: It's not me. I just noticed it.
0: But you know, that's important. These are important things. So this week, as we often do when Miles or I is out... We are talking about an X-Men cartoon, and since we've already gone through all of the good ones, that leaves us with the short-lived X-Men anime, which was produced in 2011 as one of four X-Men animes. There were two that came before it. There was um, an Iron Man anime and a Wolverine anime, and one that came after it, which was based on Blade. And it's really bad. It's just not, it's not good. It's
1: boring, which I think is the biggest sin it could be. If it was like weird bad, then that would be something else, but.
0: It is occasionally weird bad.
1: It is. I mean, it's got its moments, but...
0: It, it has some things going for it. It's got a voice cast that overlaps pretty significantly with the really superlative 2009 cartoon Wolverine and the X-Men. So Fred Tatasciore coming back as Beast, Stephen Bloom as Wolverine, although weirdly, Bloom didn't voice Wolverine in the Wolverine anime that came before this. Peter Jennifer...
1: Petrelli, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Peter Petrelli, who I'm sure he has a real name, but <laughs> Peter Petrelli was Wolverine in that, which I haven't seen, I should say. Maybe he's a really good Wolverine but I don't think he's as good at Wolverine as Stephen Bloom because no one's as good at Wolverine as Stephen Bloom. Notably missing is best sad clops, Nolan North. Instead, who we've got here is Scott Porter, who I gather is famous from other things, but whom I primarily know because he played Rex Racer in the superlative, amazing, and perfect 2008 Speed Racer movie.
1: You have a theory about this, right?
0: I don't. I have the pieces of a theory. I have components that I feel should combine into a conspiracy theory, but don't quite. So Scott Porter played Rex Racer, who is secretly Racer X, who has a costume that looks a whole whole lot like Cyclops' Marvel Now costume, and then there's sort of a two with a question mark, and then step three is profit.:
1: Uh, but you've got the pieces, they're staring: I've at got you. the
0: pieces. They're- I've got the bulletin board with the red yarn. It's just that there's still a really big question mark in the middle of it. and I'm waiting. I'm hoping the noodle incident is going to tie all of this together that that's going to be the deep secret.: Hopefully. So Porter actually does a pretty good job as Cyclops. He gets off to a rough start. A lot of the actors really seem to kind of catch their stride around the third or fourth episode. But I want to talk about him a little bit. First of all, because I feel like X-Media lives and dies on the quality of its Cyclops. But second, because I stumbled across an interview with him at Comics Alliance. And apparently he's a huge X-Men nerd and he's awesome. And I want to hang out and talk about Iceman with him. Uh,
1: Definitely the same. Like, he seems like such a cool guy to hang out with. And I want to see the X-Men anime he's pitching
0: Yes, when he talks about it, God, yeah, like Marvel, give Scott Porter something cool to do with the X-Men, and then I'll have an excuse to bring him on here and interview him and just talk about Speed Racer the whole time. It'll be great.
1: The anime also features Jennifer Hale as Jean Grey. And for me, X-Media tends to live or die by its Jean Grey. She does a really good job. And you can tell because they use the like four lines she recorded over and over and over and over again.
0: Hey, she's got like at least two new lines in the last episode.
1: That is true. They broke the bank on that one.
0: But yeah, no, when you have Jennifer Hale, even if you've only got a little bit, you spread that as far as you can because she's amazing. She's also Commander Shepard and she's also Captain Marvel in Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes, which is another amazing cartoon. So rounding out the team, we've got Storm, Emma Frost, Armor and Professor X. And the other voice actor I'm going to call it as Professor X is because he is played by Cam Clark who is the original Leonardo, and who more pertinently to this particular performance is Liquid Snake from Metal Gear Solid.
1: So creepy. So So creepy. creepy.
0: Here's the thing. In this, Professor X has all the villain cues in terms of, like, lighting and behavior and performance, but none of the actual villainy. Exactly.
1: Like, it's really easy to put Professor X into a villain role, and he's set up to be one, and he kind of acts like he did something wrong in the end when he really doesn't do anything bad, or anything at all, really.
0: Yeah, no, there are points where he sort of arbitrarily shows up to comment on the plot and he hallucinates periodically, but it's always the same hallucination, so I don't know if that really counts as doing anything new. One other recognizable name attached to this, not an actor, is Warren Ellis, who apparently plotted out a significant part of all of the various anime series, which I can sort of see? Maybe? Uh, yeah. there are components that feel very ellis to me but overall the whole thing is just sort of its own odd hybrid monster it's like a trash chimera that's parts of a bunch of really cool animals but it's all the wrong parts so it's like you know the feet of a crocodile and the jaws of i don't know a taper
1: whole bunch of hooves and tails all over the place just randomly nothing but
0: teeth yeah no- teeth. Oh, teeth.
1: Teeth. Uh, teeth. teeth
0: teeth we're gonna get back to the teeth later there are yeah the teeth are a thing so actual story. The X-Men anime takes place in the wake of the Dark Phoenix saga. The X-Men have disbanded, and when Japanese mutant and daughter of one of Professor X's million or so close friends, Hisako Ichiki, goes missing, Professor X decides to reassemble the X-Men and send them to go find her. So what have they been up to in the meantime?
1: Well, Wolverine is half-naked in an airport and has by far what is the best line in the entire show.
0: Are you going to do the Wolverine line? I never have to voice Wolverine.
1: Okay, I don't feel like I can do a good Wolverine. I can't either. do Gruff. I feel like the best I can do is kind of vaguely Canadian, although it might become a whole bunch of other accents. Floating Hands Theater Wolverine? Floating Hands Theater Wolverine, which means it's going to be weird and it's going to have A at the end. That's okay. The problem isn't in my pants, eh? Yeah. Yeah, you know. (laughs) see.
0: Oh, man. Wolverine is really delightful in this.
1: He is. I mean, he kind of spends a lot of the show negging all of the other X-Men.
0: It's nice. I mean, Steve Bloom plays him in Wolverine and the X-Men and then that he's the team leader and he's kind of in charge of things. And it's really fun getting to hear Bloom play a version of Wolverine who gives no fucks like he's really just there for the snark and motorcycles. And it's great.
1: He's constantly disagreeing with everyone, even if he has to go back on things he previously said.
0: He's also wrong here because, I mean, technically his entire skeleton, including the parts of it in his pants, are adamantium-laced. Yeah, yeah. So, there's that. Uh, let's see, we've got Storm. She is hanging out on a cruise. The ship is briefly attacked by pirates. She freezes them to death and then goes back to vacationing. Storm is really bland.
1: Yeah, she's channeling Halle Berry a lot here. Mm. Even, I think you said it was Ultimate Storm here, but it could also conceivably be third movie Storm Hair,
0: yeah. yeah. She's
1: just there a lot.
0: Including in the fights and action scenes, she is just unfortunate. You know who's not just there? Beast.
1: Beast is awesome in this. Weirdly enough, he's the only one who wears clothes that fit.
0: He's also the only one with a job.
1: Yeah, he's a professor at a college full of just really cynical college students.
0: But Beast is nothing if not cynical, and he is expressing his sincerity by presenting a lecture in a full tuxedo with a sentient squid as his teaching assistant.
1: The students are so mean to this squid. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Well, they don't believe that it's actually sentient. And he just drops a mic into its tank and then takes off to go rejoin the X-Men. And the squid picks up the lecture. And we never come back to this. It's just a thing that happens at the beginning. And I'm so bummed because, man, that squid is my favorite character in this by such a wide margin. He's so cool. He's such a good squid and obviously knows a lot about genetics or whatever Beast is lecturing on. But yeah, so Beast goes off to again continue to be the most improbably formal x man And again, he's voiced by Fred Tatasciore, who plays him in Wolverine and the X-Men and continues the cinematic tradition of there never being a well-adapted storm, although I guess Apocalypse kind of blew that out of the water and never being a badly done Beast.
1: Which I think brings us to uh, Sad Clops.
0: Right. Well, sort of lesser Sad Clops, Because yeah, he is. He's totally Wolverine and the X-Men Sad Clops at first. He spent the last year or several years brooding at the site of Jean's death and fondling a pendant of hers. I guess she didn't die on the moon here. She was in a major metropolitan area that's now burned out shells. And it seems odd to me that it's never really commented on that she apparently destroyed at least one major city on Earth as Phoenix.
1: Yeah, we don't get a lot of context for the Phoenix incident. It's just she was mad. She destroyed a city, I guess.
0: Yeah, Cyclops tried to talk her down, didn't succeed there's one other detail that's going to come up a little bit later. We get flashbacks to these like twenty seconds every damn episode, sometimes twice an episode from multiple characters' perspectives, although it's always just the same scene.
1: The stars, Scott, they make us feel so insignificant.
0: No, no, that's a different scene. That is one of the two flashbacks that just sort of alternate. All that's right, that's just Jean right. and Scott looking at the sky. I assume Scott is just wishing that the starjammers would come and take them away from this show.
1: Understandable. <sighs> How
0: good would the anime Starjammers be? So good.
1: That's the thing so about good. this. It constantly hints at better shows.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. The closing credits. Strife is in the closing credits, but he's not in the show.
1: The credits are so deceptive, which I guess is kind of par for the course for credits. But
0: that's so sad, though. I mean, Strife, Strife. There's another one. Big one. We're going to get to later. So they finally browbeat Sadclops into joining the team and head out to go rescue Hisako. She has been taken by the u U-men.
1: The U-men-ish.
0: Yeah, the rebranded U-Men. The original U-Men come from Grant Morrison's run on New X-Men. In the comics, they're a group of humans led by weirdo-sentient space virus John Sublime. The U-Men's deal is that they kill mutants, harvest their organs, and graft them onto their own bodies to grant them superpowers. And they also sort of have a weird religious cult around this practice. In the anime... Not so much.
1: They're basically the Reavers. With
0: the serial numbers filed off.
1: I mean, they do take organs, but it's kind of for funsies, I guess. Yeah,
0: they don't really do anything with them. They just sort of keep them in tubes. Actually, they do do something with them, which we're going to find out later. They're collecting them for someone else. And they've got a mysterious leader. And the mysterious leader has a goatee, a fancy coat, and a super smarmy mid-Atlantic accent. And... Obviously an interest in mutant biology.
1: This seems like such an obvious setup, and then it's not.
0: We were so excited. We thought we were going to get anime sinister, and then we did not. Do you know who this asshole is?
1: Jason fucking Wingard.
0: Mastermind.
1: Mastermind.
0: Which does at least tie into his long history of being horribly disappointing.
1: Yeah, and I guess it kind of works with the whole Dark Phoenix saga from the beginning thing. But this attributes a level of competency to Mastermind, which I do not think he's had in any other media.
0: Also, there's absolutely nothing in this that he does that Sinister couldn't have done.
1: Better and backwards and in heels.
0: Glam heels. Yeah. Super glam heels. All right. So they effectively... Rescue Hisako. Hisako is armor. She is a character who showed up originally in Astonishing X-Men. She was created by Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. And she was the next heir apparent to the teen girl whose mentor Wolverine serves as.
1: Her power is this psychically created armor that's sort of made out of the souls of her ancestors, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah,
0: and Greg Pak does some very cool and very, very creepy stuff with that in his run on, I believe it's still in astonishing x-men it might be an extreme x-men
1: her powers look so cool in animation like they're made for animation
0: yeah absolutely this is a character i have trouble imagining in a live action adaptation but it's a worth even if you don't watch the whole anime which you really shouldn't do and just tracking down the scenes that she's in that she's using her powers in because they're awesome they look great and she's actually really well characterized. She's a little bit iffy at first, but she catches her footing and she does a really good job of, again, being the young, spunky teenage kind of point of view character. But she is not alone here.
1: She is with weirdly ruffled Emma Frost.
0: Yeah, man, anime Emma Frost is really roughly and I have a lot of trouble with that.
1: Like at first it's just because she wears this one outfit for about half the show, but we see her in flashbacks and apparently ruffles were just always a thing with her.
0: Sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, so many reasons why not. Now, anime Emma Frost is a former member of a shadowy group called the Inner Circle. They're basically the Hellfire Club. If the Hellfire Club were a mutant supremacist organization, she's quit. She claims that she's gone good. And now she's a teacher. She's been tutoring Asako, preparing her for the manifestation of her powers, which have shown up before, but only once when Asako was a really little kid.
1: She's mostly been doing this through psychic projections and Skype, which I kind of enjoyed. Skype's a big thing on the show. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of Skype on this. That comes up repeatedly and it always comes up with like telepaths talking on Skype.
1: Cyclops does not trust her. Cyclops has major issues with her for a good reason. Yeah.
0: So when Dark Phoenix went nuclear, Cyclops was the only person up in the sky with her. And just for a moment, he saw Emma Frost appear behind Jean and then Jean basically killed herself, exploded, blew up a city.
1: Lots of exploding here. This is a big people exploding show.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that actually happens a bit while they're still escaping from the u They get attacked repeatedly by these monsters who turn out to be mutants whose powers have somehow just gone into horrific overdrive, first turning them into giant monsters and then eventually killing them. And there's concern that this is going to happen to Armor and to Emma, but it doesn't.
1: There's also this weird point, which it's such a minor thing, but I couldn't help but notice it. The quote unquote u you know, they're experimenting on these people. They're horrifically changing them. They leave their ears pierced.
0: Oh, yeah, they do. They recognize a guy by his earrings at some point. Emma's still got hers as well. I mean, maybe it's just not a consideration.
1: I mean, it's a good point of recognition, but you think they take them.
0: Maybe. I guess depending on what they're doing and what kind of scanning devices they're using, they'd have to take out any jewelry. But I don't know. Maybe it's just not an issue. They're fine with having big, horrifying mutants who have tiny, dainty earrings. (laughs) I feel okay about that. Yeah. So Beast eventually comes up with a cure for this virus that the U-Men have introduced that's causing these horrible mutant power overloads. They go back to readminister administer it to the other local mutants who had been kidnapped by the same group. They also go back to investigate something they'd noticed the first time they looked, which is that the U-Men were operating from the near center of a massive psychic dead zone.
1: This area has both a psychic dead zone and a weirdly high number of mutants. This is sort of a plot point.
0: Right. And Professor X can't see any of those mutants with Cerebro. He can't see anything there because, again, psychic dead zone. Now, initially, the first thought is that this might be Emma's fault, but she insists that it's not. And the team collectively believes her and decides to invite both her and her young teenage ward to come join them, because why the hell not?
1: Cyclops has issues with this. He has issues with Emma because he thinks she's the one who made Jean Grey explode. And he has issues with Hisako because, you know, teenager.
0: Teenager who doesn't really have working control of her powers yet.
1: Yeah, they manifest and she nearly kind of punches him to death.
0: Yeah, but it works out okay. So they head back and they investigate. And the first thing that happens when they get back after they've gone out to explore a little bit further is that their plane gets eaten by living snow.
1: Yes, it does. This is one of the new Hellfire people or the Hellfire people created for the show.
0: Well, we don't find that out quite yet.
1: Oh, yeah. At this point, it's just... Living snow. And Wolverine's like, Storm, why don't you handle it?
0: And Storm says, because in this show, I'm completely useless. No, she says, because it's not really snow, but then they just never investigate any further.
1: And his powers aren't really snowish after the... It's... You shouldn't yeah, worry about man, consistency. Yeah, the man, the new
0: inner circle is terrible.
1: They're so awful.
0: Speaking of terrible people, <laughs> the X-Men head off on foot through the actual snow to try to find shelter, and they come across a well-lit and welcoming... Compound in the middle of a psychic dead zone in the middle of the mountains with no outside world ties, and think, This seems great. This is not menacing at all. Let's hang out here. They knock on the door, and it is opened by a woman named Yui Sasaki, who we're probably just going to call Evil Moira McTaggart for the rest of that because she is.
1: She is super evil Moira McTaggart. And I get the name change because, you know, she's local to Japan in this instead of Scotland. And also, it's sort of a twist if you're not really that familiar with the X Men. You'll know who she is if you are, though.
0: Yeah, I mean she's the redhead, brilliant scientist counterpart to Charles Xavier. And she's also apparently Hisako's former teacher. What we find out is that she used to run a school called the Sasaki Academy or Sasaki Institute that Hisako briefly attended and then completely forgot until she ran into Yui, into Evil Moira again.
1: The X-Men really aren't picking up on a lot of cues that this is super suspicious, though.
0: Yeah, no one knows why the school shut down. No one knows anything about what Yui's doing out here. All she says is that she's doing research into mutant physiology. She won't say what. She's got three slightly shady research assistants. But the team just sort of shrugs and says, Ah, eh, you know what? We're going to go check on the Blackbird. Scott, Emma, Hisako, you hang out here and have long, awkward silences, and maybe sort of conversations. That'll be okay. So they go to find the blackbird, and they are ambushed by two members of the inner circle. Now you would expect this to be like Sebastian Shaw and Celine, right?
1: Maybe Donald Pierce. I mean, he's cyborgy, and yeah. that's kind of been going on. So, right,
0: the Reavers. But no, no, it's not. It's Martian Rat. Are those names familiar? No, these are new guys created specifically for this cartoon because reasons they're made up characters they're made up sucky characters too like i feel like if you're gonna make up an original character to replace a really awesome established character that character has to be better these guys are not better
1: marsh's power is basically he's alex Mack with her worst power the well i guess melting's not the worst power Uh, she had the glowing blush thing but he's like liquid guy That's his deal. Liquid guy.
0: I mean, he can use it to move quickly and like imprison the blackbird. And it sort of translates to some kind of weird goopy telekinesis, maybe sort of. It's very nebulous. Rat is a naked green man who shoots metal spikes. That's his thing. That's him. You do you, Rat. Yeah. There's also a third one named Neuron who is not present and he's basically Omega Red, but worse.
1: How do you do that? No offense to any Omega Red fans, but really, that's scraping the bottom of the barrel here, guys. You could have had Omega Red and it would have been better.
0: Wait, there are Omega Red fans?
1: I am sure there are. There have to be.
0: Ah, bless. Okay, so this is the worst version of the Hellfire Club. This is worse than, like, the version that was all kids.
1: It's really hard to imagine these people as secretly manipulating global events. It's hard to imagine them secretly manipulating a PTA.
0: Yeah, uh, they are not really very credible as the masterminds of much of anything. Back at the house, Evil Mora goes, signs on to Skype, as one does anytime one wants to communicate with anyone in this, and gives Professor X a call.
1: Over the course of this call, he talks to her about how really, really suspicious everything that's been going on in her neck of the woods is, she kind of makes reference to the fact that they had a kid.
0: Which she didn't mention to him. Yeah. And she says the kid is gone, but she didn't say he's dead. She won't say where he's gone. Professor X just assumes that that means the kid's dead and he isn't going to look into it further. He also assumes that this is adequate explanation for the visions he's been having of a mysterious, creepy child whom he tries to approach but who won't turn around to look at him. That's pretty much the extent of the visions.
1: Yeah. His main role in this show is having briefly dreams about Gene and mostly dreams about this kid who won't look at him.
0: But his dreams about Gene are entirely redundant to Scott's dreams about Gene. Like, they're the same hallucinations. So, yeah, Professor X is just sort of here. Spoiler, the kid is not gone. He's in the basement.
1: And then her assistants start turning into monsters. Moira's assistants start turning into monsters.
0: Right. We don't know they're her assistants at first. All we know at first is this: there's just a huge fucking spider randomly attacking people. And I was really excited at first because I thought maybe that was their kid.
1: It shoots electricity. It flies. It has lasers. This is like the coolest flying laser monster spider.
0: I would be proud to have that spider as my child.
1: Like we find out later that Moira's been messing with her assistant's DNA. I want to know what this lady's regular powers were.
0: Awesome, I assume. Yeah, it turns out the spider is one of Mara's assistants, as is the next monster they fight. All of Moira's assistants are mutants, and they're all on some kind of drug that we find out is supposed to be a cure for mutation. Because, spoiler, Moira is a goddamn supervillain. She hired the U-Men to kidnap mutants. She's been trying to come up with a cure for mutation, which she has been introducing to the local fucking water supply.
1: Seriously, she's been poisoning so many people and she gets called out on this by Beast briefly, but there's really not a lot of consequences for her actions here.
0: Yeah, no, I want her to go to all of the jail, all of it. But no, she's played as sympathetic and she's doing this because of her tragic son and his tragic mutation that has ruined the quality of his life. What the fuck is wrong with her?
1: She doesn't call Professor X to talk to him or, more importantly, call Beast, who is, again, the most competent character in the show and who has fixed problems like this before.
0: Or any of the many, presumably, other scientists in this damn world. Not only is Mora god-awful, but one of her assistants, the one who has not yet turned out to be a giant monster is also not what he seems. He is, in fact, mastermind.
1: Again, this would work so much better with Sinister.
0: I know, right? Everything works better with Sinister.
1: He reveals himself to Emma and reveals that he apparently made her forget she had a diamond form. His powers are basically he's just a psychic.
0: Yeah, he's a telepath. He made Cyclops see her during the Dark Phoenix thing basically for shits and giggles. He made Emma frigate that she had a diamond form where she's immune to his powers and also can't use telepathy. And he's figured out that there's some kind of massive power source that he has decided that he is going to manipulate into some nebulous end that might be world domination and might be blowing up the world and might be something that he doesn't specify. Because for all of its exposition, this show remains remarkably vague on some very important plot points. That is Takeo Sasaki. That is 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 evil Moira and Professor X's kid who's sort of generic dollar store proteus with a dash of Legion thrown in.
1: He gets Legion hair when he's flipping out at the end before he goes all Black Tom Cassidy and turns into an energy tree.
0: He's like extra souped up Black Tom Cassidy. So everyone gets in a big fight under the Sasaki Institute. Professor X shows up in the emergency backup Blackbird because they've called him also to let him know that they've crashed the plane just in time to see Takeo about to go critical he and mostly Cyclops in combination managed to talk the kid down Takeo basically kills himself to get his parents back together. It's kind of nebulous and bizarre, turns into a mode of light and floats away, but not before we get a lot of cameos of X-Men we really wish had been in this series, like Nightcrawler and Colossus and Archangel and arbitrarily Captain Britain.
1: Which led to a brief discussion as to whether or not Captain Britain would fall as an X-Men character rights-wise, which probably not, but he's mostly known for Excalibur, so... uh. Yeah,
0: I don't know whether he's bundled with the X-Men or not. I know he's shown up in a lot of x-men stuff and he's in this but yeah i have no idea so we get those cameos and we see the worldwide fallout from not proteus's going critical and everyone passes out and gets a psychic pep talk from gene proteus dies floats away in a mode of light and presumably they all live happily ever after evil moira never has to answer for any of her crimes and cyclops decides he's going to move on with his life and exchange meaningful glances with emma frost the oh, end
1: Ugh. the end indeed. I want to point out Jean Grey doesn't do a lot, but she is the one who's moving the plot forward whenever she shows up.
0: Yeah, she is the deus ex machina of this.
1: It might be one of my favorite scenes when she shows up in Scott's head. Mastermind's messing with it, trying to get him to, like, not stop him. And Gene shows up and Jean's like, Scott, 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 get it to fucking gather, man. I'm dead. Like, you just need to move on, hit him in the face with your eyes.
0: And he does. Yeah. And it's good. I actually really like Cyclops' character arc in this. I think it does a pretty credible job of pulling him out of sort of the post-Phoenix ditch that he has driven into and making it fairly believable. So that's the story of the X-Men anime in all of its dubious glory. What are our our takeaways here? I feel like we've been criticizing it as we go, mostly been kind of mean to it, but... The thing is, it's not
1: bad. It's just kind of boring. There's enough material, but it's always focusing on the wrong stuff.
0: Yeah, it's got components of what I feel like could be a good story. It's drawn way, way, way the hell out longer than it needs to be. The emphasis is wrong, and the character balance feels really weird. We mentioned that Storm is just wildly underused, which she is. She's got no distinct personality. Emma is kind of the emotional center of it, but it never quite clicks, and it never quite works, and I never quite buy it.
1: Backtracking to Storm for a little bit, one of my favorite scenes, because they keep on building up Storm like she's going to do something, then she doesn't. My favorite example of this is when she's confronted by one of the miscellaneous Hellfire people, and he tells her, you shouldn't even try to use your powers against me. There's no way you can stop me. And she's like, okay, then I guess I won't. And she just sits there.
0: God damn it, Storm. You know, in general, though, I feel like the characterization is pretty solid, which is part of what's frustrating about this. There are components of what I could see as a good show. Cyclops got a good character arc again. Wolverine is just a font of endless delight. Armor is great. Armor is sassy and smart and just far enough out of her depth to be a really believable sort of point of entry character.
1: Yeah, she's got relationships to sort of the characters who are outside of the normal X-Men group. So she serves as a good way to get Emma there to connect with not Proteus. I feel like there probably should have been more focus on her.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that actually would have saved a lot of it, having her as the new character and having her as the apparent focus, but then always shifting away from her to the adults and their feelings or their vague confusion or their gruff one-liners. Okay, the gruff one-liners were great. But yeah, I think making her more of the central protagonist would have made this a much, much, much better show. So the art.
1: Ooh, the art.
0: Breasts and teeth all the way to the horizon.
1: I have notes here, and pretty much every other word is just teeth. Teeth.
0: Those X Men have way more teeth than any six people need.
1: It's pretty scary, not gonna lie.
0: Yeah, it's not all that distinctive. It's okay. It's somewhat expressive. It's well directed, it's well filmed. None of the good aspects of it are quite enough to save the whole.
1: Wolverine's theme music's pretty awesome. At one point, he goes to fight this dude in a plane, and he gets this one piece of theme music, which is just so cool.
0: Oh, no, no, he's not fighting a dude in a plane. He's fighting a dude. On a plane, in one of the best bits of really dubious physics in the entire show. There's also a bit where it really seems like Storm is about to burst into song for about 30 seconds, and she doesn't, and it's deeply disappointing.
1: I think Storm's mostly there for ambiance. It always seems to be, like, snowing at the right moments, you know, but pretty snowing, or the weather gets really bad at dramatic moments. I feel like she's just there for ambiance.
0: Oh, man. So she's sort of the set dressing equivalent of the Doof Warrior. The guy with the electric guitar in Fury Road.
1: Yes. Yes, correct. True.
0: Okay. So can we recommend this?
1: I mean, I feel like this is something that can be enjoyed. It's just it's got so much wrong with it, but it's also got so much good stuff there that's just not being touched.
0: I feel like it would be really good background TV if you're someone who tends to have the TV on while you're drawing or while you're doing other work or stuff like that. Like, catching bits and pieces and snippets of this seems like it would be the best way to appreciate it. You should also totally go read that Scott Porter interview, which I will link to, because he's lovely. He
1: is. I totally want to hang out with him. He seems so cool.
0: He's great. And also, he's Rex Racer, which, yes. So, you have questions.
1: Icon UK asks on Tumblr, Because I need something silly to focus on this week, we've seen that the Hellfire Club hosts social events, usually involving anachronistic outfits, generic decadence, Alcohol, gambling, and lots of subtext. But those are big events. Surely they can't all be grand soirees. So, what would a Hellfire Club Whist Drive look like? What sort of prizes would they have in their Christmas raffle? How would a Hellfire Club Bingo Nights work? What would the Lord's Cardinal bring to a potluck dinner?
0: Well, we haven't answered all of those, but we did think extensively about the last one. And for this potluck, we've decided to go with the Lord's Cardinal where Miles and I are in continuity. So, here's what we've got for you.
1: Okay, Celine would definitely bring meat pies that nobody would touch.
0: mastermind brings takeout that he makes everyone else see as a home-cooked dish.
1: Emma Frost brings takeout that she doesn't make look like a homemade dish.
0: Although it's really like upscale and awesome. Sebastian Shaw just brings a shit ton of liquor.
1: And of course, Magneto brings pasta salad.
0: Because Magneto is the awkwardly sincere out-of-place member of the Lords Cardinal at this point.
1: Plus, he knows, you know, the conventions of potlucks, which is that somebody has to bring pasta salad.
0: I assume for this that we're going with like your Jewish grandpa Magneto, too. So he might bring Kugel.
1: Well, when Wanda invited him to Thanksgiving in the Vision Scarlet Witch Mini, which I totally love, he actually didn't bring anything except for Toad, which was accidental and Toad attacked everyone with Brotherhood robots. But
0: that's the worst thing to bring to a potluck. Why would you do that? Well,
1: it wasn't on purpose.
0: Good. Nicktoons and Stuff asks, also on Tumblr, Since the X-Men anime starts off with the end of the Dark Phoenix saga, Jean functions as a ghost that haunts the team through the series. She has also served as such in the comics for a very long time in recent history, even with Teen Jean in the present. Do you think Jean as a character functions better as a living character or as a ghost that allows the X-Men to react to her legacy and help push the X-Men into the future and away from the past where she has remained?
1: That's a really good question. For me, I feel like it's a good place for Jean after you hit a certain point in continuity. Like, once she reaches a certain level of power, she kind of works best as she's off in space doing something else, and sometimes she might kind of lend a hand from far away.
0: Yeah, omnipotence is really difficult to build more than one good story about. Having omnipotent characters really, really boxes you in as a writer. So there's that. When Jean is that powered up, when she's in full Phoenix mode— That can be a problem,
1: especially because it leads to a lot of things where you're underselling Jean if you're not having her at this certain point, but you can't really tell a good story when why doesn't Jean just phoenix the problem away?
0: Yeah, so there's that. I mean, I think the ideal solution is kind of twofold and, and actually very close to what we've got in the comics right now, which is having the older dead Phoenix Jean, who's sort of an abstract quantity, and then having a younger version who's not yet that overpowered, who's got the potential to take off in a different direction and who can avoid maybe some of the narrative pitfalls that the original gene had and also be more thoroughly developed as a character by the time she hits them.
1: I mean, I love Gene, so more gene the better for me
0: all of the genes (laughs) every gene every version
1: all gene all the time
0: yeah no i think that's kind of what it comes down to though is that i like the well-written versions of gene
1: yeah and sadly they tend to be kind of few and far between but still i mean
0: yeah there are people who can tell really good stories about dead gene there are people who can tell really good stories about younger living gene there are people who can tell really good stories about gene as phoenix and in each of those sets of hands that's the version of gene that i like best
1: like in all things, it all depends on the writer.
0: All right. Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men is recorded in Portland, Oregon and produced by Kylie and host of the Godzilla podcast Kaiju Cast.
1: New episodes come out every Sunday on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and at explainthexmen.com.
0: Check out explainthexmen.com for all kinds of extra content, visual companions to every episode, along with interviews, fan art, recaps, reviews, and more.
1: This podcast is 100% listener supported. If you'd like to help Jay and Miles stay on the air and add free, check out the Patreon link at the top of explainthexmen.com.
0: Thank you so much, Max, for guest hosting. And if you're listening to this, you should totally check out Max's comic. It is waiting for the WaitingForTheTea.tumblr.com. I'll also drop a link in the as-mentioned. Miles will be back in the studio next week, and we will be at long last headed back to Australia for a trip to the mall, an alien invasion, and the on-page debut of everyone's favorite super-powered mall rat.